following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. The last couple of weeks we've been discussing the seven pillars of influence in the community. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Brian spoke on government and education. Last week, Sam spoke on media and entertainment. And this week, I'm going to speak on religion and just God's providence and the way that He works everything. A couple weeks ago, Brian spoke on government and education. And from all the more reason, I think this is a pertinent topic today is for the Supreme Court decision that came down on Friday that uh, religious freedoms are getting torn. And what is happening is hard for the church, and we need to be able to stand firm. And while religious freedoms is a topic, it's not one that I'm going to really focus on today. I think Pastor Brian spoke on that two weeks ago in kind of a prophetic way. Because religious freedoms is more of under a government guise. And today I want to talk about religion and how we as the body of Christ are supposed to stand firm in a world that is getting darker and darker. And for me, as I was looking at this topic and praying about it, I was looking at religion and for me that this is the, the ground zero the launching pad from which all the other influences. We're going to talk about business and family in the next couple weeks. But all of them, they, they, they come off of this because religion is the foundation by which we as Christians live our life. And we like to say it's not religion, it's relationship, but the, the, God, the, the, the umbrella is it's religion. Pure religion. Serving God. Living for God. Loving God in all that we say and all that we do. So whether we are in media and arts, whether we're in the government, whether we're teachers or businessmen in the marketplace, everything that we do is centered on who we are in Christ. Because first and foremost, if you are in Jesus Christ, you are His child, and you are a son or a daughter of the living God. And therefore, I am first and foremost a Christian. I may be a Christian plumber, I may be a Christian architect, I may be a Christian musician, I may be a Christian parent, whatever it is, I am that, but first and foremost, I am Christian. And it influences everything else that I do. Because everything that is found in who I am is founded on the Word of God through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So this morning... As we're going through this, I'd like to have you open your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy. And this is a letter that Paul wrote to a young pastor who was getting ready. He was left in Ephesus going to Acts chapter 20, but he was there to instruct them. But before I get into 1 Timothy, I want to go back and just read to you a passage of what God told the Israelites when he led them out of Egypt. And they were in the desert, and they were going to get ready to go into the promised land. And I think this is, this is key for us to, to understand. And in Levit- Leviticus 18, this is what it's written. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you lived. No are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes to live in accord with them for I am the Lord your God. God left no ambiguity in those instructions, did he? He was very clear, because he's speaking to a, a people that grew up in Egypt. They were engulfed in Egyptian culture. 
And God was pulling them out and He said, you have to forget that which you were taught. And I am leading you into a new land that has a culture that is unholy, ungodly. And you cannot partake of those. I am giving you my statutes. I'm giving you my decrees by which you are to live. And by this, you are my people. And you say, well, that's the Old Testament, Scott. Yes. But if we go to 1 Peter, 1 Peter quotes out of Leviticus saying, for the Christian, be holy, for I am holy. And for the same purpose, he's telling the church today that you are my people. Because in in 1 Peter, what does he say? He says that you are to be separate. You are to be holy because He is holy. You are to be a distinct people. He says that we are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar, which actually means a peculiar people, means that we are God's possession, that we are His people. And we are to be separate from the rest of the world. When you look at the Old Testament, and he starts talking about the holiness and what it means to be separate, because he starts talking about, well, you can't have cotton and, and, and linen, you can't have two fabrics together. Because, and the reason being is that he was telling them and showing them, giving them an illustration, if you will, of you are mine. You are to be holy, you are to be set apart for my purpose. And if you intermingle, and if you take on the statutes and the lifestyle and the culture of the, the people who are around you, now all of a sudden you are not pure anymore. You have been tainted. And that's the problem with the world today. The church is getting tainted today. So, with that in mind, let's go over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And let me read the first 11 verses just to get everything in context here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. For these promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command, which I am giving you, is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and the rebels and the ungodly and the sinful, for the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for the murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which He entrusted to me. Now, the thrust of that section right there is on counterfeit Christianity. He's saying, Timothy, I left you in Ephesus for this purpose, that we have been given a command, but there are others in the church that are rising up. And they want to be known as teachers of the law. They want to be experts of the law. They want to be known as those who are purveyors of God's Word, but they don't really understand what the Word is, nor do they live it. They're about their own purpose. And he says, Timothy, so within this whole thing, he has this one little verse amongst all the negativity that's going on. In verse 5, but Timothy... This is the goal of our instruction. The goal of our instruction is love, which comes through a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. 
And that's what I want to focus in on this morning, is that command to understand why we as the body of Christ need to stand on God's Word, to be filled with His love, and to proclaim a message of salvation through Christ Jesus. It's interesting that we have this this distinction that he's giving about these other teachers, and I just want to read to you out of chapter 6. And this is what he's talking This kind of verifies what's going on with these false teachers. He says, if anyone advocates a different doctrine that does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, with a doctrine of conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, which suppose that godliness is a means of gain. And I read that, and I thought, and it's just one of these things, and it hurts me because when you go on social media, when it's talking about abusive language and envy and strife, it's all over the place. But it comes from both sides. And it breaks my heart when I see Christians with vile comments, hatred in their words, because our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the powers and the principalities of this world. The darkness that rules over. It's not about people. And how do we overcome hatred? Is by love. And Paul is writing, he says, says, the idea of the false teacher is that they are doing it for their own purpose. They want to get their own. They're trying to get their own name. They want to rise people up and they're trying to get these little factions. And they're changing the gospel message. So if you notice, he says that if it's not leading you to conform to godliness, then it's against sound doctrine. It's against the sound teaching. And I find that the church today is doing just that. More and more churches have wandered from the gospel message. Verse 15 of chapter 1, Paul says, It is a trustworthy statement deserving a full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save the sinner among whom I am foremost. His heart, his passion, his mission was always about preaching the Gospel. I preach Christ and Christ crucified. That's all I came and that's all I preach. He understood the grace of God like no one else. He understood the love of God. He he was face to face with our Lord Jesus Christ at the, the most wicked time in his life. And God ended up using the one person who fulfilled all those things that he wrote in 1 Timothy. In verses 9 through 11, that was Paul. He was a murderer. He was a hater. He was, a li- he was just on a mission to destroy the church and all of a sudden God takes him and says, I love you. I died for you. And transformed him into being the most prolific man in growing the church of God. And one thing I want to set from the beginning is that list that he's talking about why the law was given. That's all of us. Even today, you're driving down the street and somebody cuts you off and you have that that momentary thought of hatred towards them. You are a murderer, according to the Word of Christ. He who hates his brother is a murderer. 1 John. So we are no better than anybody else, but we are come to a place of salvation knowing who we are in Christ, that there's nothing in and of ourselves that gives us anything. 
So this morning, I want to break down verse 5 into three parts. First part is the message. The second is the goal of that message. And the third part is what gives it its power. And I'm going to try and do this as, as well as I can. For those of you who know me from Tuesday nights, I, I could probably spend a month and a half on one verse right here because there's so many parts to it that you could literally just open one part each week and dive into it. And main, but that's the entirety of Scripture, isn't it? And my goal this morning is that it would just give you enough of a taste of what Paul is saying here that you will dive into the Word of God because it is a, just a deep well. Dive into it, swim around, go deeper and deeper into the dark water that you, where you can't see your hand in front of your face. Go there and see what God will show you in His Word. Be a Berean. See that what if I am telling you this morning is true or not. Call me out on that which I say is not of the Gospel, but affirm that which is of the Gospel. That is what you were to do as a believer in Christ. Never listen and take what you hear, but take it back to the source and find its validity. So this morning, let's first, the command. Our command is sound doctrine. And the question that we first have to, to look at is, can one have Christ as a Savior and not have Him as being their Lord? And the answer to that is no. You cannot have Jesus as your Savior if He is not your Lord. The reason being is that in order for Jesus to be the once the Savior in your life, you must first come to the understanding that Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity, eternally existing, and therefore making Him the perfect sacrifice, able to satisfy the demand of payment for sin. If Jesus is God, then one must also surrender all rights to Him. For that is the only way we get entrance into the kingdom of heaven. For blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are spiritually bankrupt, having nothing, coming to Him who has it all. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. First, we must surrender all to receive. If we're full of ourselves, there's nothing that God can fill in. We must first empty ourselves to Him. In order to surrender to Jesus, we need to understand that the Word is infallible, meaning that in its original documents, it was without error. And 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And it is through the Word of God that one is led to Christ and transformed into the image of our Lord. For Jesus says that the Word of God is truth. Sanctify them by your Word, for it is truth. If you have decided whether the Scriptures are true or not, because either it is the Word of God or it isn't, and if it isn't, then there's no substance to say that Jesus is God. It's either all true or it's none of it's true. It's all true or it's not true. And it's interesting because there's a, a prevailing argument that I have come across in the years that I have been a Christian and over certain topics where people tend to say, well, you know, whether it's, it's not found in the Gospels themselves. Homosexuality is not... Jesus doesn't speak directly to homosexuality. It's not in red letters. Therefore, it's not part of what Jesus was about. I don't care what Paul said because, you know what, he's just an old crotchety man who was a homophobe so I don't have to listen to him. I'm just going to read the Gospels and I will obey Jesus. Well, I have a problem with that argument. First, in Peter's writings, he says that Paul's 
writings of Scripture. All Scripture God breathes. Paul's writing Scripture must be God breathed. Secondly, people would, you, know, you could talk to somebody and say, Socrates, great philosopher? Yeah. Well, how do you know what your reading of his is true? He never wrote anything down. Everything we have on Socrates was written, written by Plato or somebody else. But yet we take it as his words. The Gospels were written by eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ, not by Jesus Christ. They wrote other parts of the New Testament. So were you going to take the red letters but throw out the rest of the New Testament that the same people who wrote the red letters wrote? Have an issue with that. And finally, and most importantly, if you're going to take those red letters and say that you're going to live by those because you believe Jesus is God, He is the Son of God, the sacrificial Lamb, well then, all Scripture is God-breathed. Jesus is God. All Scripture has to be God-breathed. Breathe. Therefore, you cannot pick and choose. Some people have been hearing that salad bar analogy. You can't go to the salad bar and pick and choose what you want to follow out of God. Either all of it is or none of it is. And as Christians, we need to be able to say, this is what we believe. This is the standard. As He gave it to the Israelites, He has given us an amended issue with the understanding of who Jesus is and the sacrificial offering that out of His love He bestowed upon us. An eternal hope. And this is the standard by which we live. We read this and we conform our life to this. It's not by the will of man, but it is by the Spirit of God. Paul states that Scripture is useful in 2 Timothy. He says it is useful. And what is it useful? It's useful for teaching, which is the building up of the body. For reproof, which is the conviction of sin. It's exposing of sin in our life. Correction, which is to restore a person to an upright position. That's literally what it means, to restore back to an upright position. So when we fall, when we are convicted of our sin, we use the Word of God to restore another person. And finally, these three things, working in unison, it is used to train up one into righteousness. So Paul is laying out for Timothy the process in which we use the decrees of God. As a Christian, as we're going to go out into the world and live for Christ, we must first understand the words of Christ. To live by them, we study them. And I found at least six uses for the Word of God. The first one is it brings about our faith. Romans 10.17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. It sanctifies the believer. I mentioned that in John 17, 17. Father, sanctify them by Thy Word. Thy Word is truth. Wash them clean. Sanctify means holy. To be washed from iniquity. It is good for meditation. Psalm number 1. And when we meditate, I find that there are four blessings that fall under meditation. And the first one is it transforms us by the renewal of our mind. As we meditate on the Word of God, it transforms us by the renewing of our mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Conform no longer to the pattern of this world, which is ungodly, but be transformed as you understand and study My Word and allow the Holy Spirit to impart knowledge and wisdom and now all of a sudden you're aligned with my decrees, says the Lord. It convicts us of wrong motives. 
Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It's like a scalpel, and it's able to show us the motives of our heart. It guides us in our daily walk. Psalm 119.105, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light for my path. If we meditate on the Word of God, it directs our ways. Man makes plans in his own heart, but the Lord directs his path. It is able to keep us from sin. Psalm 119, 9 and 11. Lord, how can the man keep him's way pure? By studying the Word. I hide Your Word in my heart that I might not sin against Thee. But that means meditating on the Word of God. Studying it. Reading it. Praying it. Just soaking it in. The fourth use is it's our weapon against temptation. Jesus used the Word of God against Satan. Ephesians says that the Word of the Lord is our sword. It's the only offensive weapon within our armor. John 8.32, number five, is that it sets us free. The truth sets you free. Where you are in bondage, coming to Christ, there's freedom. So you look at it and say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Thy Word is truth. The truth will set you free. And the sixth thing is that it brings us comfort in our time of need. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, the God of all comfort will come to you in your time of need that you will receive comfort. But for what purpose? Not only that you have rest, but He brings you comfort so that you see somebody else in need You take that comfort that He gave you freely, you receive freely, you go and you give it. You receive comfort from the Lord, you take it to somebody who needs that comfort. And thereby, living out Christ. And I think about it, and it's like, you want to know more about God? Read the Scriptures. You want to know how to pray to God? Read the Scriptures. You want to know how to pray the heart of God? Read the Scriptures. You want to hear from God? Read the Scriptures. Then you will be able to test the spirits and know that which is of God and that which is not of God. But read the Scriptures. Because it's found in Scripture is all that we need for life and godliness, Peter says. This brings me to the preacher. What is the purpose of the pastor, for the preacher. In Ephesians 4, it says that it is for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. For the work of service, for living out Christ's mission to building up the body of Christ until we all attain a unity of faith and of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure and the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And this is key. As a result, we are no longer to be children. We're to grow up and be adults. Because a child is tossed here and there by the waves. They cannot stand firm. And they're carried about by every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceit scheming, by speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto Him who is the head, even Christ. And this, my friends, is what sound doctrine does. It teaches the Word of God. And the the sound doctrine is this, in three things. First, it's the words of Christ. Because they are to be preached in a manner that is true to the original author and its intent to the original audience and speaking that which what it was, and then bringing it to today. Secondly, 
It leads to a way of righteousness in that it teaches us in a way to increase our knowledge of the truth of Christ and apply it to our lives. That we're not just mere hearers only, but we become doers of the Word of God. And thirdly, sound doctrine reveals truth. And in so doing, it speaks against false teachings which are leading people astray. And this is where God has really burdened my heart. Because more and more I see churches drifting from sound doctrine. They've no longer aligned themselves with the Word of God, but they've aligned themselves with the wave of, of society. We have mega churches. We have denominations splitting over what to do with a homosexual marriage, same-sex marriage issue. And all of a sudden, the churches have, have, have drifted. And the, what, what's the issue with me is because what's happening is the church is embracing sin. They're embracing sin. We're called to embrace sinners. We should all embrace sinners and allow God's Spirit to come in and start to transform them. But the church has embraced the sin and said that we will allow you to come in and participate as a full member while you are in that sin. And while it's a true statement that God is loving and gracious, He is a just God. He is a holy God. And it's because of His holiness and His justice that Jesus went to the cross. Why would we trample on the cross of Christ by embracing sin when Jesus died for that same sin? We're not to live in our sin, but we're to be free from it by the blood of Christ. But these teachers are not only guilty of perverting the gospel message by rationalizing it, justifying man's sins because of God's love and graciousness, but what they're doing is they are first looking at drowning people who do not know Christ, and instead of sending them a life buoy, whatever they're called, he throws it out, but instead of throwing the life ring to them, they're throwing an anvil disguised as the love of Christ. And it is just sinking them further away from God because they're saying that your sin is beautiful. But not only that, because, and this is why I challenge you to be those Bereans, because we have churches, mega churches, where people are sitting in the pews day by day, week by week, year by year, and they're listening to what is being espoused and they're taking it as gospel truth without checking it with the Word of God. And now all of a sudden, you have all these people who are just being drifted away from truth for a lie. I am one that is not a, a huge in times person. I prefer to study the Scriptures and to me it's today. I want to be about today. I live for today. My eternity is secure. So if Jesus comes back today, awesome. If He comes back next week, awesome. If I die before He comes back, great. I don't really spend my time thinking about end times. But because I look at the church and I see the events as they unfold and the lies that are being told, perpetrated from the pulpit, and we're having mass numbers of people who are buying in because, well, God's love. These people love each other and everything. And now all of a sudden, it's just like they're just getting pulled away. There's just this giant apostasy that Jesus and Paul talked about of the end times. 
And I, I just was praying as I was putting my message together, and that just kind of stuck out to me. Because we're seeing it. The church is divided. The church is not in unity. And this is what is to be the unifier. Is that we stand according to... See, it's not even the law. The law kills. It's the godliness. Because He's a holy God. I just it, it, it pains me is what it does. Their motives may or may not be honorable. I, I'm not going to judge what their motives are for doing what they do. But I will say this. Any message that is contrary to the message in the Gospel of Jesus Christ is a message of hellfire. It's not one of life. We're to be set apart. We're not to be conformed by the pattern of this world. We're to be children of the living God. Walk in the light as He is in the light, John wrote. We are to be hearers of the Word, to be doers as well. We can't change the Gospel message for a particular group. And this is my issue because when we start to embrace sin and allow people to serve in a body of Christ openly in sin in accordance with the Word of God, well now, what does that say about everybody else? Do we now allow the adulterer to serve on the board, to serve in a ministry? Do we allow those who are living sexually immoral lives to do the same? What about the drunkard or the sex addict or the the drug addict? Anybody that's living in sin is now free to do whatever they want based on that ideology, which is contrary to sound doctrine. Let me kind of wrap up, I'm kind of going on here. But the goal, love. Paul says that without love, everything is nothing more than a sounding gong. It means nothing. The love that he's speaking of in 1 Timothy is the same love that he's speaking of in 1 Corinthians 13, where it's supposed to be patient. It's supposed to be kind. It's to bear all things. Endure all things. But it also does not delight itself in evil, but it rather rejoices in the truth. Love never fails. And that's what we stand on is God's love. Because the Gospel message is this. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God demonstrated His love in not only sending His Son, but while we were yet sinners, He died on a cross for us. As Christians, that we call ourselves children of the living God, That is what we are to demonstrate. Hateful words are not going to draw people to Christ. Vile words are not going to draw them to Christ. It's being able to share the love of Christ. God says, "As you abide in Me and I in you, the attributes of 1 Corinthians 13 will manifest themselves and will naturally be an outflow of your life. But again, that goes to surrendering and allowing Him to be the Lord of your life. Love invites. Love embraces. Love is willing to pick up the broken pieces. Love weeps with those who weep. Rejoices with those who rejoice. We're called to keep fervent in our love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. Love's desire is to see freedom from bondage. And it's about restoration of the fallen. We are called to love. We are called to reach out. 
So where does this power come from? And this message of love. The end result, the goal is to be love. And he says that it can only come one way. And it's a three-pronged way. He says it's a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. But that means absolutely nothing unless our lifestyle is the one of victory. Because where is the power in the message if they look at us and we are not walking in victory? If God is not the Lord of my life and the Holy Spirit has empowered me to live beyond the ways of the world, if I am not, if I'm conformed to the image of the world, there is no message to give. But if they see me, or they see you, and they see a transformation of what you once were to this new person in Christ, there's a power in that message and something that gives them hope for change. But it starts with our relationship with Christ. And that first thing is a pure heart. A pure heart shines forth how we've surrendered our wills unto God and in way how we're going to treat others. Because a pure heart is about bringing glory to God. A pure heart is about the work of God. A pure heart is the one that sees God. A pure heart sets its affections on God to build and strengthen its relationship through study and prayer so that it is a viable tool in the hand of God. It is only the pure in heart that earnestly asks God to search it, to know it, to find any wicked way that may lurk within it. J.C. Rowell said this, We may give God a bowed head and a serious faith, our bodily presence in His house, and a loud amen. But until we give Him our heart, we give Him nothing. Purity of heart begins with one that is first humble, because there is nothing in and of ourselves that is any good. We must rely on the power of God to love others because it is the love of God that He has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has shed abroad in our hearts. We don't love in our own strength. We don't love in anything uh, of us. We're loving the sinner. We're loving our brothers or sisters through the power of the Holy Spirit. But it comes through surrender. Is the pure of heart that have a desire to see the lost come to the saving knowledge of Christ and to be transformed into His image. The pure of heart are those who understand the mercy of God because they first have experienced it and are able to extend it. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. If we have a pure heart, then our conscience will be clean. Because what is a good conscience but one who is living in godliness. A good conscience is one who is living according to the decrees of God. We cannot just be holy when we're at church and be unholy when we're at work. We cannot be holy amongst our church family and unholy on the freeways. A conscience that is not good fights within itself, struggling to justify that which they are doing to be okay, to be covered by the grace of God. A good conscience is going to be more apt to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because one who does not have a clear or a good conscience, they're struggling even to receive that grace of God because if I don't have a good conscience, if I don't have the mind that I'm living for God, well, now all of a sudden I'm shrinking. Now, I often think of that account in the book of Acts when the guys that go into the house of the demon-possessed, they're like, they don't know God. They don't have a good conscience. They're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And they go in to try and do God's work, and what happens? They get beaten and stripped naked and just kicked out, embarrassed. And I think about that, and part of me is like, man, that's the fear of the Lord. And saying, you know what? Because if, if something like that crosses my path, I want to make sure 
That devil knows who I am as being a child of the living God. I want to have a good conscience. Forgiveness comes through true repentance. Godly sorrow, which leads to a good conscience. And the last one is a sincere faith, which is a pure heart and a good conscience together bring a sincere faith, which means an authentic or a genuine faith. It's not one for show. It's not one for my own aptitude, but rather it's one that brings people to Christ. That they start to see God in me rather than me struggling to live. A sincere faith is one that just abides by the Word of God because I believe it to be true. The world and churches are filled with hypocrites. They say one thing and live out another. That's why people don't like to go to church. I see where you are in church, but then I see you after church. Why would I want to go to church if I could just live the same way without going to church? What do you think of the Gospel of Jesus Christ? If the Word is true, there's a uh, Christian rapper named Lecrae, and he always talks about the 116, part of the 116, and that's Romans 116. For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe, first the Jew and then the Gentile. And then verse 17 For it is the righteousness of God that is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So let me just finish with an application here. I know we're running a little long. and I tend to, uh, over the last two weeks, this country has seen so much going on. Ten days ago, a young man walked into an AMA church in Charleston, South Carolina, filled with hate, with evil intent in his heart. And what struck me is, more than anything was the fact that he sat in this prayer meeting for about an hour, listening to saints lifting their voices up to God. And with evil intent, pulled out a gun and killed nine holy ones. Old and young, men and women, saints of the living God. And he had evil in his heart because he wanted to just start a race war. But, because the Spirit of the living God was upon that group, upon that church, it filtered out into the community. And instead of getting what he wanted to have accomplished, it brought people together praying to God, uniting together for the peace of God. That which was meant for evil, God turned to good. Just like with Joseph. God is using something and He is transforming This, it's interesting. I was talking with a dear friend of mine and he saw something on the news. And I'm going to end with this. Oh, but the newscaster had a microphone. He was interviewing a younger guy. He had the Jerry Curl or dreadlocks, whatever they are today. I don't know. I don't have any, obviously. But he was tired. He was a younger guy, so he was kind of agitated. And he, all, he was kind of like, want to take action type of a thing. And he goes... Behind him, there was like an 80-year-old man, you know, and he's AME church, and it was like pressed white shirt, tie, jacket, clean, just, he goes, he must have been like, you know, 100 degrees, but no sweat whatsoever on his brow. And this guy's like all agitated, and all of a sudden, this old man just like ever so gently puts his hand on the young man's shoulder, and he goes, son, that's not how we do things. We're Christians. We live for God. We pray and trust in Him and allow Him to enact justice. I was like, wow, 
you know, almost brings tears to my eyes when I think about that. But that, my friends, is how we are able to change a country, a state, a city, a community, a church, a family, a person. Through loving them as Christ loved them with the truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you. Help us, Lord, to hunger and thirst for your righteousness. That we would desire you above all things. That we would truly live out the great commandment to love you above all things with our whole heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength, everything that in, in us and of us is loving you. And in so doing, we're able to reach out and love everyone as ourselves. Give us the strength of your spirit, Lord. And in these days, O oh Lord, I pray as they prayed in Acts chapter 4, that your spirit would fill your church with a spirit of boldness. That we would not shy from the truth. That we would not shy from the message of the gospel. That we would not shy from the freedom that the gospel brings. But that we would speak it forth boldly. Because we believe it. Because we live it. And because we love you, I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. We pray that this message has blessed you. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.